This is All People Are Crazy, a reverent discussions on how to cope with being a perfectly normal crazy person. These conversations are to nudge your curiosity about mental health, fill in any gaps in your knowledge, and encourage you to make the difficult deal of taking your own advice. This podcast series includes adult concepts, explicit language, discussions of mental health, mental illness, suicide, trauma, violence, drugs, and sex, but generally not all at the same time. Please be gentle with yourself and remember to seek support if you need it, starting with family and friends, your general practitioner, and in Australia Lifeline from 13, 11, 14. Welcome to All People Are Crazy. I'm Lisa Downs and I'm joined by Australian psychologist and all-round great guy, Tom Lothian. Hello, Tom. God, that's a lot of pressure. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> How are you today? I am brilliant. I'm brilliant. Uh, last week, Tom, we covered relationship boundaries with great application of The Phantom so of the much. Opera. Look, uh, quick shout out to Andrew Lloyd Webber. Love your work, mate. Your music is uh, great. But the plot for this one's pretty full on and your characters are utterly terrible examples of relationships oh, with healthy boundaries. Just some feedback if you it. jump back in the studio. Yeah, man, musical toilet monster. It's a uh, it's a scary concept, but uh, yeah, check out that one for our you know discourse on musical theatre and discussion of healthy relationships. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we launch into this week, which is raising small people is hard. Just a reminder that Tom does not dispense personal medical advice. All his advice is general in nature, and you should seek professional support for your own individual circumstances. In Australia, start with your GP. So today, raising small people is hard. Now, this is not just one for the parents, Tom. This is for anyone who has small people in your life who are important to you. Aunties, that's me. Uncles, grandparents, any other adult who's playing an important role in the life of a child. Absolutely. So, Tom, you're a parent and a psychologist. You must have all the answers (laughs) on parenting. (laughs) So tell us, give me the solutions. Why is raising small people so hard? Oh, my God. I mean, I have this conversation like several times a week, if not well, many times a month, uh, where I say a lot of like the parents of my clients will be like, oh, your family must be just like so happy with you as an individual. And my response always is that is not the feedback of my family, actually. Uh, look, it's, I mean, raising kids. I mean, look, my mantra around this is that parenting is fucking bullshit as a job. Like, this is brutal. It's a completely unfeasible job. No one can ever really win in this space because the job is so broad and so rapidly changing. Uh, it is impossible. This is my, maybe this is just me being a terrible human, but I think it's impossible <laughs> to nail it like for any meaningful quantity of time. And even though I am ostensibly an expert in like how people work and how children work and how they grow and what healthy looks like and what unhealthy looks like, I do not nail it on a pretty regular basis. Uh, And I mean, the obvious answer would be that I am a specifically incompetent person. However, there are some really good (laughs) books out there actually, which speak to that as a thing. So I will will call it out a couple of times and I'll whack it in the references. Uh, The Whole Brain Child by Dan Siegel and Friends uh, is a really lovely book about like how kids work and how even the authors as like proper big kids in this field screw up their own parenting on a semi-regular basis. And I certainly do on a like very regular 
Love basis. Uh, we will not be bringing my own children into this podcast space, of course, to attest to that. Just take it from me that they are not always happy with me as a person and they definitely don't always do what I say. Which, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot more challenging dealing it with your own kids. Like other people's kids are great. They're so funny and they're adorable and it's easy to be calm and empathetic. And when your own kids do exactly the same stuff, it is neither funny nor adorable. It's a real pain in the ass. Um, yeah, so that's my opening gambit as to what parenting is like and why I am a completely normal person who screws up their parenting on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> Excellent. That's why I've right. opted for the auntie channel so that uh, <laughs> I can live the good times and then move oh, on. Oh, man. Uh, go back that. to my needy dog. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, gentlemen, what are the most important things in your view that parents need to keep in mind as they're raising their kids? I tell you, the number one piece of advice that I give to parents is you need to stop working so hard and you need to take better care of yourself. So that sounds like a really good deal and it sounds a bit surprising. You would have thought that me as a like child therapist in particular, I work with grown-ups too, but I would do a lot of child therapy, uh, that I would be about uh, whatever kind of specific parenting techniques or specific ways of raising children. Uh, but my experience is that all parents uh, really want the best for their kids. Like I'm yet to meet a parent who doesn't love their children and I'm yet to meet a parent who doesn't want good things for their kids. And I think the biggest trap for parents is actually to overcommit themselves in their parenting and then to work too hard, to become exhausted. And that means that there's very little energy to do good parenting because if we undermine our own self-care, uh, then we undermine our parenting as well. And so that's my like number one piece of like advice and feedback to parents is actually you need to put yourself first so that you can take good enough care and good enough is it going to be a constant theme of this conversation. Take good enough care of yourself and then you use the energy left over to do the best job you can for your kids and that will be imperfect because you can't possibly meet all the needs of your children. That is, again, too broad a gig for any individual to nail. Apart from anything else, that's why it like takes a village to raise a child, right? We need the aunties and the uncles and the grandparents, and that can be like blood relations, but it can be your community as well, right? It's not necessarily the family you're born with. Sometimes it's the family you choose, uh, and all of those folks get to kind of jump in and play their part, uh, and it doesn't have to be all the people all the time, right? Like no one gets to do it all, uh, and everybody needs other people. So I think try not to be a superhero, right? Undies on the inside, they don't go on the outside <laughs> of the town, they go on the inside, and as tough as it is, it's recognizing the limits of your own physics, right? As much energy as you actually have rather than the energy you really want uh, and playing within those rules uh, because you can't do more than you can do. And all parents will try at different times because uh, we're really motivated apart from anything else to take really good care of our kids. Uh, but in doing so, we can sometimes exhaust ourselves, which means ironically, we do a less good job uh, of taking care of our children. So that like for me, that's like number one by a, by a country man. I don't know whether that kind of accords with your own experience, Lisa. I mean, when you like auntie it up, right, you're in there like for some pretty long shifts at times, like you do days and weeks uh, at, at different times. Yeah, I don't know how people do it and I feel like there's so much pressure on everyone to do <laughs> everything. But like I'm exhausted when I do cameo parenting for a week at a time. I'm like, I don't have time to work. I can't even get, you know, there's laundry to do and they just keep going through clothes and food yeah. and dishes and you can't stop making food for five seconds because they've moved on to something else. So <laughs> 
you know, and there's pickups and there's drop-offs and there's logistics and, you know, I just, there's a lot and I do feel like there's a lot of pressure on parents uh, and carers at the minute to do so much and I appreciate you can't yeah. drop everything in the parenting to focus on your self-care but, you know, I feel like it's the thing that I took out of what you just said was the imperfection on, like, you don't need to put pressure on yourself to strive per- for perfection in all of those things. Just kind um, of mash it together really, and do your best, yeah. right? And- it's really not a thing, right? I mean, that one of my kind of little mantras is whenever we say the term human nature doesn't generally mean anything good, right? Like human nature isn't, and despite all the adversities, we still muddled through and did the best we could with the limited resources available. No, it's like we had every opportunity, we knew it all in advance, and then we spent all our time fighting with each other instead of solving the actual problem. And like, if that's how humans actually work, then that doesn't mean all of that switches off just because you're a parent, right? The day that you become a parent doesn't mean you get to like abandon all your insecurities and weird emotional reactions. If anything, those will get the volume turned up on them because you're going to get really sleep deprived along the way. And like when I talk about taking good enough care of yourself, some of it's like sleep, eat enough food, drink enough water, all these things, which I tell you, if you have a tiny baby, oh, it can be really hard to fit that stuff in. And it's a big deal to like to find, carve out the space to like lie down instead of instead of cleaning up what will be a traumatically uh, messy house uh, with small children, incredibly small children, create an enormous amount of mess. Uh, yeah, then even though you might really want to, I don't know, mop, uh, you're probably better off lying down for 45 minutes while your child also sleeps so that you don't have a psychotic break in the afternoon, which is the extreme example, but there's all the space in between, right? All the space in between <laughs> calm and psychosis involves like getting grumpy or being chaotic uh, or making poor life choices because you are too sleep deprived to make good life choices. Um, yeah. So I'd say self-care for parents is actually the number one thing. Like you really can trust that you love your children enough. Love is never the issue, right? It's not the absence of love that is the challenge. Uh, I think you need to love your kids and they need to know. Sometimes that's the challenge is making sure that kids know that they're loved. Uh, but even that doesn't mean that they have to feel it constantly all the time because some sad little tackers will move into spaces of feeling unloved. And as long as you as the parent are calm enough, you'll be able to keep bringing them back to it. It's like, well, just because you feel it doesn't mean it isn't happening, right? Where either if you're a separation anxiety kid, right, you freak out every time your folks aren't in the room. It's like, well, I love you even though I'm not here. And you love me even though I'm not there. That's okay, right? This bond remains between us. Or at the other end of the spectrum, right, where you've got, you know, kids living in out-of-home care of different sorts. Um, Yeah, like the love exists and it's unconditional and if kids can build a trust in that that's a practice as much as anything else right kids need to practice feeling loved it's not an inherent skill which is a sad statement but the reality of a lot of people sorry i got free will in there again yeah Wait, no right that's okay well no because i had something that i'll come back to later but <laughs> just on that um because you make a good point um i do think that kids are actually just looking for attention and to feel loved, right? But how do you, you just said kids need to practice that. How do you, what, how would, what does that look like? So, I mean, this is the concept of what we call attachment and attunement within the trade. So attachment is loving your kids and having them love you. And everybody knows that, right? So the the feelings exist between them. And they're the most positive, pleasant feelings, right? These are delightful feelings. Uh, Firstly, not everybody slips naturally into that. 
right? So a lot of mothers in particular with postnatal depression won't have the like solid emotional bond with their kids straight off the bat. And that's okay. That's a workable situation because a lot of that will develop over time. And I think apart from anything else, we have this expectation in motherhood in particular, but parenting, right? I think dads are susceptible to this as well. We have this expectation of this like perfect, like Disney flavored love uh, that happens immediately and they all live happily ever after. And that is just not a thing. (laughs) How do kids practice feeling loved or, you know, that's sort of what you said, it's a practice. How do kids do that? What does that look like? I mean, weirdly enough, it's kind of as simple as it sounds and also as hard. So apart from anything else, if we can put words to our feelings, right, what are we feeling and what, how do, can we describe that? That's a really good start. Keep in mind, the younger the child, the less verbal and experienced that will be. Um, and so you're, really, you're looking for those warm and fuzzies, right? And, you know, hugs are great. Contact is great. Uh, you know, a, a very hard but very brilliant book that I'll, I'll kind of flag out and put in the references as well is The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog by a lovely psychiatrist called Bruce Perry. Uh, yeah, that is not a fun metaphor. That was a boy who was literally raised as a dog. Oh. That's a very, yeah, it's a very, um, no, no, <laughs> no, it's, that's a book full of incredibly sad stories. Like I didn't, oh, I, mean, I didn't read anything. I, I listened to it on Audible. Uh, but I got to that only a couple of years ago. Right? I've been a, like a child trauma therapist for a number of years, and I found that book very hard going, uh, but amazingly empowering as well. Because apart from anything else, right, one of the things that I mean, one of Bruce's clients really educates him in uh, is the value of what we call co-regulation, that for little babies in particular, they can't regulate, I mean, temperature, let alone their feelings. And so it really is that like skin-to-skin contact, right? The cuddle is a really important part of helping a child feel and feel loved uh, and to help them calm that one of the reasons why parents need to take good care of themselves is if you as a parent start to lose your shit, there's zero chance that the child is going to do well. I mean, again, number one piece of advice I'm giving to parents is if you need to take better care of yourself, because if you're doing better, your child will do better. And look, the younger my clients are, the less I talk to the clients, because the less important I am, the more important the parents are. And for like a five-year-old client, yeah, like I will talk to the kid, don't get me wrong. But generally, I have the parents in all of every session. And generally, I'm working on the kid's relationship with the parents rather than the child themselves. Okay, I'm going to bring you back again because we still haven't got to. You've started uh, me off sorry, with the baby, man. right? And my question <laughs> is, how does a kid, and let's say a kid who has the active ability to regulate themselves, yeah, how cool. do they practice love, which I think is the question. Absolutely. I mean, I think it starts from babyhood and then it works its way through. So I think we do like warm cuggles and games and all of that. And we move through that kind of very behavioral, uh, warm and fuzzy, feelingy, touchy version of communicating with little kids. And then we tell bigger kids that they're loved and we encourage bigger kids to practice telling parents in particular, that they love them, right? We don't force them on it as a thing that they have to do, right? You want to watch the emotional subtext there. Um, And I suppose for me, if a child is really struggling to demonstrate comfort, right? I think comfort ties in really beautifully uh, with parental love in particular. We hope that kids feel easy 
around their parents. That there's very little anxiety uh, as far as that kid's relationship with the parents is concerned um, and that the child feels really free to do and say what they need to do and say around the parents. Um, then that's the way that the child will practice that. And you can hear where the barriers would jump into that. If kids are getting too much in their own heads and worried about performing in front of parents or being like a really good kid in front of parents, um, then that's all stuff that parents can work on really openly to really encourage their children to be themselves, to be open. And while that sounds delightful, there's a really irritating edge to that, which means that your children will be really poorly behaved with you compared to with their teachers or their aunties or all the other grown-ups in their lives. Uh, and look, it was, I think, some of the best advice I received in advance of having my own children, uh, which was never judge your parenting on the basis of how they are with you, judge it on the basis of how they are with other people. Because uh, your kids will be, to be blunt, little turds when they're with you. Because if you do a great job and they're like, I know you love me and now I'm going to take advantage of that by being awful and throwing literally all my toys out of everywhere. You're like, ugh. How about you're just slightly less comfortable with me than you currently are because this house is a disaster and I need you to pick some stuff up and then they melt on the floor and it's amazing and then you put them with another grown-up like oh yeah that's fine I can totally do that and it's like no drama situation so how do you practice doing it I think you practice by saying I think you practice by doing right uh and I, I tell you even that kind of love language kind of concepts kind of come into it at that point yes. that's a really nice way of running it again little uh, asterisks on that make sure it's always a sustainable pattern so for your uh, your gift givers and your gift receivers in particular yeah you don't want to be like economizing your love gifts are totally fine don't get me wrong i'm a big christmas fan i think it's an amazing like concept and we have like different versions of christmas in almost every culture um so the the giving and the receiving can be lovely just make sure that that's a sustainable pattern right otherwise we're tying concepts of love to a thing that we can't back up again and again yeah so that's one of the things and i'm going to wrap it back around into self-care with no judgment nice. whatsoever because uh, I love a wine more than most. But I suppose a couple of things that I'd be interested in you take. I think firstly, back on self-care, I think at the minute um, we may not necessarily have a great sustainable version of self-care. I think um, sometimes we look to <laughs> alcohol to try and, you know, self-care for us. We really feel like we've yeah. had a hard day, so we deserve wine, so we have half the bottle or uh, we crack a bottle of champagne and then you don't want to waste that little uh, bubbly goodness <laughs> so you drink it all. Whatever, whatever the issue might be. So I feel like there's a little bit of – and a little bit of unhealthy self-care and even things like mm. sitting on phones or sitting and binging Netflix yeah. and perhaps um, not recharging our batteries in the most positive way. And I was going to yeah. link that back into displaying affection and love for kids by buying things, which is mm. actually not what kids want. And I am going to completely not source this reference because I can't remember where I read it, but there was some research done um, in Australia and I feel like um, I read it in the Resilience Project, which is a great book, but it was about um, the fact that kids when asked about what they would like differently in their day 
all they said was they'd just like to spend a bit more time with their parents or aunties, uncles, grandparents and have that nice connection. And I just wonder if perhaps instead of working harder to buy more things because we're putting more pressure on ourselves, um, we can relook at a little bit how we're doing that sort of stuff and maybe prioritise. You know what my niece loves doing most? She loves playing Snap and she loves playing Duck, Duck, Goose. And if we did yep. nothing else but do that and read some books every now and then, She'd be a pig in mud. So I just think that perhaps with all of that sort of stuff, sometimes we need to look at the core of what we're doing um, with some of those other things as well. What do you reckon? I think that's a much better description of loving by doing than I gave, uh, which, again, is why I really need another person in these conversations. Otherwise, I talk in weird academic circles and it doesn't make any sense. But we often um, want to give people gifts, but it's not necessarily yeah. the thing. You know, that's... That's nice That's for five it. seconds, but... Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think sustainability can play in all these patterns. Like, yes, the economic sustainability is really clear. Like, don't spend more money than you've got. That's only going to create big problems in a fairly short time frame. Um, and yeah, like learning to play. Learning to play is a really important part of being with kids and having them. And you don't have to enjoy it all. Like, I'll be honest, imaginary play with preschool-aged children, oh, I hate it. Can I hate it so much. Dogs and Barbies. Just oh, as much as it's so bad. Just and look, uh, and but then like the books <laughs> and even like playground stuff, love it, right? So we all have our strengths, we all have our weaknesses as far as this stuff is concerned. And I mean, you do occasionally like meet like parents and kids who clearly just like are a beautiful fit for each other, um, and that is really encouraging as far as those kids are concerned. Like that is really happy convenience. But even that's going to change. Because kids grow up so quickly that your beautiful alignment with your child today is great and convenient. It's not going to last, right? not forever. And equally, if you find yourself in patches of a, a kid's childhood where you're out of alignment, it's probably going to drift back in, right? So sometimes just waiting it out is a really important thing. And yes, sometimes you need to suck it up and play whatever, schools or schools. mummies and daddies or yes. whatever the thing, Dolls. schools. Yeah, yes. daycares. yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Those dolls have so much to learn. So much to learn. And so do I, it seems. Uh, coming back to your point on self-care and destructive self-care, I reckon we talked about this at the end of our first episode, and it's the difference between doing what you feel like as opposed to doing what works. That, you know, whatever... Uh, spending some time on your phone is totally fine to distract yourself in a brief moment. And if you're leaning on that for always, then you're really kind of like squashing your emotional experience and making everything worse. Same with booze, same with whatever, gambling or watching TV or, or anything else, right? Like everything in moderation um, is fine. Uh, and there are some things that can drift out of moderation because we feel like doing them. But that is not ultimately good advice to ourselves. So, yeah, hearing the difference between what you need uh, and what you want, I think, is an important part of that. Um, yeah, and that's a good expansion on the kind of point we made right at the end of that first episode. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder in the parents' context because it is so hard. Like, it is not an easy gig. Hmm. All right, so talk to me about predictable patterns and spontaneity. Are these things important for children? <laughs> I mean, I would say absolutely. And of course, to make an obvious point, these are like opposite things. Uh, and it's an important point in parenting land is you're going to do a heap of contradictory stuff because humans are contradictory, right? We have a variety of needs in any given day. And I think predictable patterns is really helpful because apart from anything else, 
even for a baby, it will help bring a bit of calm to the farm. Um, and you want to start kind of working on some of those like like sleep cycles, a really big one, right? Sleep and food. If you can nail sleep, food and water, not, it doesn't need to be regimented, right? You don't need a regimented schedule. Asterisks, different people believe different things. Certainly sleep manuals, there's some very regimented sleep manuals out there. I would say take them, use them to the degree they're useful, let go of them to the degree that they're not useful. Uh, but certainly I think about kind of patterns rather than regime uh, because I think apart from anything else you don't need to like wake your child up at the same time every day so that you can then get the regime or the the, the kind of regimentation kicking along uh, yeah I mean for a little baby like never wake a little baby god enjoy that downtime and like get some sleep yourself and maybe mop if that's the thing you really want to do that day uh, but yeah and then you know if it's for a little baby, you're probably waking up, having a feed, making, doing a change or whatever order you want to do that in, um, having a bit of a play and then that little baby's going to go back down for another sleep. And with a bigger kid, uh, yeah, you want to make sure that they've got a rough sense of what's going to happen on any given day. And again, noting that you then want to have surprises kind of built into that, either on any given day or in the totality of your week, right? It's not a big deal if your kid has a late night on a Friday or has a sleep in on a Sunday, right? These are all fine as far as things are concerned. So humans respond really well to predictable patterns and kids are people too, it turns out. Uh, but humans also respond really well to like new stimuli. Uh, otherwise they get bored uh, and then they get self-destructive or just destructive. Uh, as a thing. So I think trying to find a helpful balance, and again, that's a really kind of useful term as far as parenting is concerned, a balance between having your kid calm enough about what's going to happen on any given day and having your kid like get predictably hungry because when we eat at the same time, the kid will actually get hungry in advance of the meal and that's handy. Um, and your kid will get tired uh, at a predictable time if uh, you have a fairly regular bedtime routine. Um, and also, you don't want to get too bored. Uh, and so you need to be able to introduce new and weird different things. And I mean, there's some lovely examples out there where, you know, potentially controlling parents, let's just call them Tom, uh, might say put the kids in charge of a daytime schedule and there's going to be some wacky dumb shit in there and it turns out a lot of the stuff that let's just say i uh <laughs> might worry about doesn't matter right it doesn't matter it's actually catastrophe is a lot harder to embrace on a good day than you would think and as long as you're like keeping the kids away from really pointy or hot things um actually if they want to whatever have ice cream for breakfast and vegetables for dinner uh that's not going to lead to the day imploding right like that's okay you can like child-led play uh and bringing the kids in as early as possible so apart from anything else you as the parent don't have to work as hard right when we do kind of child-led activities yeah that's like building independence and you don't have to spend as much brain juice parents on uh, on doing that work yourself so again finding the balance there right when they're all like let's go juggle knives nope nope we're not doing that as a thing that is not yeah let's stick all those knives in the toaster nope also not a thing that we're going to be doing <laughs> but if they're like let's go it's raining let's go to the playground you're like well i don't think it's a good idea like let's do it anyway like okay and i mean I, and for me i think that comes to like the best scenario in parenting is where you keep your kids safe, but 
They get to make their own decisions and they get to wear the consequences of those decisions. Uh, and so all of this is easy on a good day, right? Any kid is easy on a good day. Uh, and particularly if you've got the opportunity to be saying yes a whole lot of times, it's always going to go well. I think parenting really matters when you have to say no or where it's going to go pear-shaped. Um, and for my money, the best times are when the child makes a decision they make a terrible decision uh, and the child gets to wear the consequences of that and you as the parent don't have to stress as a result. It's like, you should put a jumper on. I'm not going to put a jumper on. Okay. And then maybe as a parent, if you're going to feel really like organized, carry a jumper if you want one. <laughs> and as far as like not eating enough is concerned, I tell you one of the most reassuring things I've ever read in any parenting book. Uh, it's an old book now, so the sexual politics is all buggered. But other than that, great book called Toddler Taming by Sydney pediatrician Chris Green. Uh, and one of his very reassuring statements is, there are no recorded cases of a child starving themselves to death out of stubbornness. Uh, and that is great, right? When kids are like, yeah, I'm not going to eat right now. That's fine. So the consequence is there's not going to be any food available for the next two hours or whatever your time frame is. And again, hold the boundary you can hold. So keep in mind, if you've got a, like a screaming, grumbling kid or an anger, a hungry, hangry, hangry child, uh, the challenge for your parent is to be able to sit with that um, and let your child wear the consequences of their, their actions. Yeah, and you don't want to set an helpful. expectation. No, because they'll call you on it and they'll figure it out eventually. Well, like, I used to be mad for that. ruined yourself oh. the next time, haven't you? I know. I was so good and an empty threat as well. And like bigger child totally called me on it one day. I'm like, yeah, this game is done, yeah. isn't it? I can't I can't keep backing this up. Uh, I'm going to have to really retreat here as far as the threats that I'm prepared to make because they need to be the threats I'm prepared to kind of follow through on. Which And that's part of predictable patterns, right? It's yeah. part of predictable patterns is being like very predictable, use a limited tool set as far as like what consequences are going to be. Um, yeah, and I think anytime you can let a kid learn through their own mistakes in a safe way, that's wonderful. Hard. Hard for a parent to watch your child be in pain, particularly for dumb stuff you told them about in advance. <laughs> um, but that's part of learning, right? And we, we again, we, weirdly enough, we talked about that in the first episode as well. It's that difference between rational and emotional knowing. Be be clear in your communication. Hold the boundary you can hold. Um, yeah, and I think under the best case scenario, the kid wears the consequences for their poor behaviour. Unfortunately, it can't always be. <laughs> The best case scenario, because every single parent in the history of the world, and I think, Lisa, you've had this experience as well, is that you're like, all right, everybody, get your shoes on. It's time for us to leave. Uh, and you've got like a hard appointment time starting in whatever time frame. And you turn around and like someone. Oh, or you turn around and someone is just like nude. And you're like, why are you nude? They're like, I don't like this dress I anymore. I don't myself. like these pants. No. no, yeah. I'm not no. And I'm telling change my mind or it's like so we talked 15 minutes ago and you assured me that you were going to get out of those pajamas and they're like yeah but then like i don't know something happened and so now i am just like nude or partially dressed and inappropriately for the thing um and every parent and every like caregiver who gets to have any meaningful time We'll hit a point where they like drag a screaming semi-naked child into a vehicle with the clothes that child did not pick. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes that's the deal, right? And again, in good enough parenting, what we're accepting of the limits uh, that exists, right? So just because you have a picture in your mind of beautiful, perfect parenting where the child listens to you and then responds appropriately... <laughs> 
doesn't mean you get to have that all the time because nobody does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, a reminder, I have this experience semi-regularly and I am supposedly an expert in children, emotions and shaping all of the above. With all the answers. Oh, and I am not knocking it out of the park on a pretty regular basis. And indeed, the difference between having me ask my kids to do something and having Lisa ask them to do something yeah. is astounding. It God, is they astounding. are so nice to It you. is astounding. And they, they're broccoli. <sighs> it's amazing. I know, I know. Yeah, although that's generally not like a pressure point for them, but they have other pressure points. And that's a, an important point, right? Like in your own parenting, I tell you, it's going to be so easy for you to zero in on all the things that are going badly in your own kids and in your own parenting. And you'll filter out all the other examples you see that in every other child you encounter and you'll zero in on all the other kids performing beautifully in public and you'll see your child, whatever, melting down. And then you disregard the fact that a whole lot of other kids are melting down at the same time because kids are quite predictable like that. Um, yeah, because again, we're like, it's easier to forgive other people's children for their poor behavior on any given day and much harder to forgive our own or to forgive our own poor parenting, right? Because we zero in on our own experience and we have a tendency to gloss over uh, the very similar experience of other parents. And I think that's an important part of it, right? Really beautiful parenting groups out there. I think in great therapeutic parenting groups, uh, a big part of it is reassuring yourself that everyone else's kids are crazy too uh, and that everyone else is also struggling in their parenting yeah. uh, and to let yourself right let yourself be an imperfect parent because uh, otherwise you'll start jumping up and down on yourself and that makes the whole thing worse whereas if you're good enough right just do good enough right food water shelter great start if your kids know that you love them uh, and they're not being too cranky about that towards you on any given day that's a win and you don't get to win every day so i think again do good enough is my my, my resounding mantra yeah i love this concept, concept of good enough parenting because when i look back now not that i had noticed it at the time but when i look back now i'm sure that's the type of parenting that my parents were doing right yeah. you know they were both working they were you know hustling at life separated parents um after a point and, you know, I'm sure they were exhausted constantly and, you mm. know, um, probably stressed out most of, the t most of the time. But that's not the thing that I remember now. Yeah. And I think, you know, remembering that that's probably the parents, the parenting that your parents had to do <laughs> and you still love them and you still enjoy, you know, yes. going to Christmas and going to holidays and you still like them as humans and you love them. And um, so I think it's always um, helpful to sort of think, What's this going to look like in 10 or 20 years? You know, am I breaking them or <laughs> we're probably going to be right? And, you uh, know, that's good to remember. <laughs> what, and look, there's a, there's like a million jokes out there, like a million therapy jokes out there about parents fucking up their kids. Uh, and I mean, kind of like, I mean, that's why the jokes are there, right? Cause it's kind <laughs> of grounded in truth, but equally, there's no parenting scenario available where you meet 100% of your child's needs on the way through childhood. And I tell and you, even you if you could, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. Because particularly if you th start thinking about like parenting adolescence, that is a time in life psychologically that's all about discovering who you are, right? Becoming your own meaningful individual. Because I tell you, when I'm working with little kids, I don't think of them as meaningful individuals. I think of them as like family units, right? They're part of a family. And I can't separate the well-being of a primary school-aged child from the well-being of a family. A teenager is working through that process 
of becoming their own person, developing their own self-esteem, uh, developing their own sense of themselves, their own opinion of themselves uh, in a meaningful way. And they're starting to what's called individuate from their parents. Uh, and so if you as the parent are meeting 100% of the needs at that stage, I mean, weirdly enough, we'd call that like problematic codependence. So doing everything while you might be emotionally motivated to do that because you love your kids is probably not a very good idea, which again is why the natural consequences thing is such a great concept is it helps the child build their own sense of the world in their own way to be within it. They're not as dependent on having the parent do it for them. Uh, and look, all of this, of course, is a balancing act. It's not that grown-ups don't need people, right? People are still social. So your kids still need you, uh, even when they're whatever, hypothetically 40. Um... <laughs> are we talking about me again? I think we were going to do that. Uh... <laughs> oh, I thought we were talking about me. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's okay, right? But they need their parents in a different way. Yeah. And it's like... This is, I think, one of the hard things, again, yet another incredibly hard thing that makes parenting bullshit as a job, is that the emotional change for the parents is just like so unfeasible to nail as a concept that apart from anything else, because emotions are shaped by experience, basically we're all emotionally warmed up to parent a slightly younger child, right? Our experience of parenting is by definition on our is with our history of our kids. Uh, and that means that we're always a little bit behind the eight ball as far as the needs of any given child, emotionally speaking, are concerned. You're not going to get perfect attunement with your children. So attunement is the degree to which you're kind of emotionally aligned, right? You're plugged into their emotional experience and they're kind of helpfully plugged into yours as the parents. That's what that means. Uh, and that is a tough gig because kids change really rapidly which means their needs are leaping ahead of the pattern you've already laid down. Uh, and with little kids, you see this all the time where, you know, you're whatever, you've got like, you're playing Snap and Duck, Duck, Goose, and that's yeah. all going really well. And then you turn around one day and the kid's like, I don't play those games. What are you kidding me? Yeah, are you so some kind of fool? Are you a fool or a monster? I'm really into listening to this musical about a toilet monster. The kids that people are like, oh, God, when did we end up here? Uh, and that's like just one contained example of a phenomenon that exists again and again is parenting is often behind the eight ball, right? Like you're always catching up as far as what are the needs of the kids are concerned. And that's in the broad scheme of things, like a child that's had a bad night's sleep will essentially present as younger on any given day, right? So we see the concept of regression, right? Kids in a very stressful time uh, might regress into things like bedwetting or tantrums or whatever. Um, and sometimes we see, you know, even teenagers presenting like they're five-year-olds, um, depending 40 -year -olds? on... 40-year-olds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick? <laughs> you should have grown out of it by now. <laughs> well, look, should is a judgmental term and we take people from where they're at. <laughs> I think we've got a, like, trauma work episode coming up at some stage, and we'll talk about, like, parenting your inner child at that stage of the game. Uh, but in this context, right, in this context, just it's more, yeah, theoretically yeah, just, speaking, just yeah, theoretically, like, good old diesel lounge. Uh, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> but again, to cut yourself a break as a parent or a care of any, like, flavor that if you're not exactly in the zone on any given date, that's okay, 
right? That again, in good enough parenting land, we nail enough of the needs, enough of the time, uh, and we understand and accept, as hard as that is, we understand and accept that we're going to be out of the zone. We're not going to clock what the kid needs on any given day. And again, there's probably something useful to that for a child to start realizing that if they need things, they need to ask for them preferably with their words and manners. Like, again, just to give a little shout-out to the old uh, relationship episode there. Words and manners. Carry the person a long way, right? We, we don't talk enough about words and manners. So here in that, there's a like level of conflict baked into parenting. And that sounds kind of unpleasant. And I think particularly, mm. um, we haven't talked about the happiness trap yet, uh, but that's a like a, a great kind of concept. It's an old concept, um, and uh, Russ Harris has written a beautiful book by the same title called the, the Happiness Trap. And basically, it's the irony that if you try and be happy all the time, you end up miserable because you can't be happy all the time. Right. Uh, and when we seek to be comfortable all the time, yeah, misery and anxiety are the kind of natural side effects to that. And so allowing conflict to be part of your experience as a parent, right? I need you to go to bed now. No. Great, you're in conflict. Um, and that's not inherently problematic. Sure, it's a thing that you're going to work on. Like the phenomenon of that conflict isn't inherently problematic. Kids not being in bed at time is a real pain in the ass for a number of reasons. One, child needs sleep. And two, you need time without the child. Um, yeah, but it doesn't all have to play out that way, right? If we let it, if we let it be necessary, uh, then I think we get to take it less personally. We get to do a calm job of uh, of conflict or boundaries or whatever else that we're putting in place for kids um and again all of that is feasible to loop it back if we're taking good enough care of ourselves whereas if you as a parent are sleep deprived if you haven't been to the bathroom enough during the day or any of that stuff taking a deep breath and managing your feelings in that moment is going to be unfeasible and all parents have experiences of that at times i certainly do and again that's what we need in our village right so yeah. be a person in a village get it done and, yeah, back to your village. Um, also remember, I suppose, as a parent, it's okay to ask for help and acknowledge that you're mm. not wonder human um, and yeah. able to do everything for everyone all the time and be everything oh, to everyone because, you know, like, that's just pressure no one needs. Oh, and mummy shame in particular. God, we just love telling mothers that because they have or at least had a uterus that therefore they shouldn't need sleep and they should be able to do all of the, like, work four yeah. different jobs at once. No. Yeah. No, that's not a true story. And also try to manage your career and keep going and <laughs> yeah, do everything. exactly. And... Whereas I'll tell you, as like a, a, quite an active father and I took uh, I took paternity leave with both my kids for fairly extended periods of time, I cannot tell you how low the expectations are for me as a like a guy parenting children. Like if you turn up with a baby and the baby isn't bleeding too much, people are like, you're such a <laughs> great so dad. amazing. Look, it's an interesting thought experiment, right? If, if you as a mother, I'd be like, okay, what, like, what standard am I setting for myself? Have I, like, quietly bought into the cultural expectation of mummy guilt? Yeah, maybe, like, again, hang your superhero cape up on that one, right? You're still a normal person. Normal people need sleep. They need food. They need exercise. They need time away from their kids. Yeah, uh, And that's okay. Yeah. Right? That's okay. And sometimes you can get it and sometimes you can't. And if you know you can't get it, then expect to do a pretty shit job because that's going to be the situation. And often that's the least worst option available, right? If you've moved to a new town or your village isn't accessible for whatever other reason, um, yeah, there's going to be a period of time there where you can't crush it in parenting land because uh, you don't have all the resources available to you yet. 
And so again, do what you need to do, right? Build your connections, use professionals if you need to. Um, but of course, these things are vastly better managed with a personal network, if at all possible. Um, and it's lovely, right? I think it's really lovely when we can build a village and kind of work around kids and have our own adult relationships as well. Um, I think it's a really nice thing to do. And I think it's a really effective thing to do. Yeah, nice one, nice one. So um, my big sales pitch. I like it. I like it. Um, I also think like parents put on I as an auntie and like you know a village type of person, and I love hanging out with your humans and um, those in our network. Mm. But sometimes people put too much pressure on themselves as far as leaving and worrying about whether the kid's going to cry or do this or that. It won't <laughs> die from crying. It's fine. As the auntie, I'll leave it, I'll deal with it, right? And you won't be uh, any the wiser and I probably won't tell you when you get home just how many hours they cried for because you don't need that stress. Just go off and enjoy yourself. Well, and also <laughs> the like the really common scenario because sometimes, yes, a kid will like cry it out for a while and that <laughs> sucks but it isn't the end of the world. But also the most likely scenario when a kid is crying as the parent leaves uh, is that the second the parent goes and like the auntie, let's, let's just assume good old Deesa Lowndes, yeah. uh, is there holding your child, that kid's going to like, oh, you're here. Oh, yeah, I like you too. And then your kid is fine. Yeah. I said, when I, I used to drop my kids at uh, at childcare, uh, yeah, I would get what I like to call the teaspoon of sadness to start your business day, <laughs> where my kids would burst into tears. Uh, but at least I had the advantage of there was like a clear line of sight from the like lift down to the car park, and I could see my kids as I hit, I turned around, hit that lift, and those kids were bloody happy. Right, yeah. seconds, yeah. seconds after they had very convincingly like. Uh, I mean, that was probably their actual experience, right? But a very convincing performance of no, everything is terrible. If it was like, if I cry enough, will you stay? And no. it always will be. And then it turns out, no, within 15 seconds, they're like, and now I'm playing. Is this a room full of kids and toys and caring adults? Hey, my life's amazing. <laughs> and then you don't get to hear about that because they're either little kids and they can't talk or even when they can talk, they don't want to tell you about it. What yeah. did you do at school today? Nothing. No, no, no. I just like turned up and had an absence seizure and now you're here and yeah. nothing occurred in between. Yep. And then you hear secondhand about all this great stuff that they're doing. Ugh, again, yep. this job is bullshit. It's <laughs> great segue. What is, Tom, as a parent, uh, what is the best of parenting and the worst of parenting? Give me your highs and lows. Okay, I, I think the, the best of parenting, again, is those like natural consequences moments where you've got enough time and you can calmly explain to a child what their choices are. And if the child makes an ineffective choice, then they get to wear the consequence of that. And you get to stay calm while all of that happens because you told them in advance and you're like, yeah, it does suck that you're cold now or hungry or wet, like whatever their choices are. You're like, but this was the choice you made. It's not dangerous. It's uncomfortable. So this will be your thing. And I love you. And you'll learn for next time. So yeah, it sucks a bit, but this is the good news. And keep in mind, it's not always a hard feeling comes about to reinforce that pattern someone's like yeah look well done like you took a risk today and you extended yourself in some way and it was a bit scary but you did it and now you feel great and it was all you right i was just here explaining like what the likely consequence was you were the one that had to do it so it's a round of high fives and everyone gets to feel happy uh hugs all around um yeah and i think the worst of parenting is when for whatever reason the parent doesn't have the time or the space to manage. And sometimes that's a physical time and space issue. Sometimes it's an emotional time and space issue. And so then you find yourself shouting at your kids, right? Like I found myself lifting my voice to my children on a more regular basis than I wanted to. Um, yeah, institutionally, I, I to manage that, I've introduced, introduced what I call the dad school of poking, uh, which is that every time I'm like, now go put your shoes on. 
the shoes are an obvious example. Go put your shoes on. And the kids will just flat out ignore me. <laughs> like I, I'm either not there or I have no value. Yeah. And so I'm like, and it's going to be the dad school of poking. And then I poke them in a ticklish spot. And I keep doing that until they pay attention to me. Because <laughs> the alternative is that I raise my you voice. Lose your banana. Yeah. yeah. And then they still ignore me. The shoes still aren't on. And I'm burning emotional energy at an unsustainable rate. Whereas the dad school of poking is a little more fun. Uh, we talk about it after the fact and we agreed in advance, like this is going to be the thing until you start paying attention and managing yourself a bit better. Uh, and it works, right? It works well enough most of the time. Again, asterisks, nothing works perfectly all the time. Yeah. There are still times where I'm like, all right, now we're out of time. So I have a pair of shoes and a pair of socks, get in the car. I don't care if it's raining, get in the car. Like that's our situation now. We either go or you're late to school or I'm late to work or both. Um, and it's not a fun conversation. No one has a good time. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's the best available. So that's the best of parenting. That's the worst of parenting. I mean, I, like there's lots of other ways to screw up your parenting, like trying to make your child <laughs> your friend. I mean, it's not that you shouldn't be friendly with your kids. You really should. But we want to keep kids out of like grown-up problems. And again, like uh, mm. hearing you, Lisa, talk about like your parents separated during your childhood and for them to like keep a lot of that grown-up stuff out of your childhood life where you kind of look back at it later like huh i mean i still just like loved them and stuff and i guess yeah. on reflection as a grown-up that would have been terrible for yeah. them at the time yeah. but mostly this was like yeah there's like yeah and it's not that it was perfect clearly you'd like tell jokes about that all the time <laughs> uh but like there's a lot of it where you're like oh yeah actually now that i look back at like yeah mostly it was just like i know that you love me and i know that i love you and we can still have christmas and it's all okay yeah and that's a big deal yeah. and that and i tell you the times where parents like compromise that be like so i'm separating from your father slash mother slash whatever parent uh and so i really want to tell you about my feelings as the yeah. other parent no yeah don't do that don't do, don't do that i tell you kids need parent they need the largest number of caring adults that they can have. And so please don't undermine any child's relationship with any other grown-up asterisk as long as that grown-up is safe. Yeah. Sometimes grown-ups aren't safe, right? And that's more of a, like, child protection-flavoured issue. And if you're in that space, go and seek professional help, really. Go get a secondary consult, whether it's from a GP or if you've got a paediatrician or a psychologist. Um, and, you know, places like the Kids Helpline, um, Nurse on Call are good resources, a parent line is a good resource. All of this will be in the notes for this show. Um, these Didn't are all even good know there was a parent to. line. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, and they, they're really great. They've got like a whole whole range of stuff. It's not all like child protection, secondary consults. It's also like, oh, sleep is a big one, right? My baby isn't sleeping. What happens? Well, my baby used to sleep and now my baby is teething and my baby is not sleeping anymore and I'm going mad. What the hell do I do? Mm. Um, or my child has started bedwetting again after being like dry for so long. What happens next? Like they're, they're plugged into all of that great information yeah, and referral uh, resource as well. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there, right? Yeah. There's like maternal child health, an amazing resource to have. Um, yes, to monitor the physical health of children, but also to put parents in contact with each other so they can like talk to each other about how crazy they feel they're going and why they feel so incompetent on a regular basis in their own parenting, even though they are hypothetically a clinical psychologist. Yeah, um, I'm going to shout yeah. out to new mums, though, and the maternal health network stuff. Like, I've got a friend going through this right now, um, mm. and she's getting told two different things in the same conversation <laughs> from the same individuals at different points in time. Like, I, yep. you know, we were chatting about it, and, like, I'm just like, just, 
choose the most common sense pathway or whatever's working for you and just yes. don't worry about it. You know, and it'll again, be fine. I, but like, there's so I, much pressure on mums and I referenced it earlier. <laughs> oh, yeah. And look, I referenced this earlier regarding like sleep training manuals. And again, there's some like rigid stuff out there like, no, you'll wake your baby and it will feed on the left breast for this amount of time and then the right breast for this amount of yeah. time. Whoa, what if you've only got one breast? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What if you miss so, in the other one? That's yes, so and you get like all the hard things that can happen to a woman in the like early infancy times and indeed to men, right? Like men yep. get postnatal depression as well because yep. sleep deprivation is bad for you. Mm. Um, but all of that, again, take all of this advice to the degree that it works for you and be prepared to let go of advice as well. I tell you, even if it's from a mummy-shaped person, right? Mm-hmm. I tell you, if I haven't done anything else in this conversation, it should be to convince you that me-shaped people are not perfect human beings, yeah. right? We are just as flawed as the rest of society and just as susceptible to screwing up our parenting as parents who aren't healthcare professionals. So again, like use these folks as a support and understand parents that you are in charge. You are in the lead here. And if the advice you're receiving doesn't make any sense at all, feel free to get a secondary opinion, right? Whether it's parent line or a different maternal child health nurse or go see a different GP or whatever else, right? Again, be a bit jealous with this stuff. You're allowed to like get your own needs met. Uh, you don't have to be in monogamous relationships with all these healthcare professionals. You can go and see other people. That's and avoid totally avoid crazy too. Facebook pages. They are not helpful. Um, oh god they're crazy oh man it's but like the scariest place on the internet it's so scary so weird mum's groups on facebook where people are just the best of things or the worst of things and everyone Ooh. has a lot of feelings and opinions but that's not really based on our topic at all <laughs> well because no one knows what they're doing exactly no one knows what they're doing well it connects though right because keep in mind there's like a day where you become a parent, right? Like it happens essentially in a moment. And even if you raised your own siblings or you've been a really involved aunt or uncle, it's not the same as having the 24-7 care of your own child. Uh, and so it's a different job. And I think like the advantage of pregnancy is you kind of get to ease into that emotionally uh, to a fair degree. But even that, it's still like a big difference to have the baby on the outside as opposed to the baby on the inside. <laughs> and for men, it's an even more kind of jagged emotional change. I mean, keeping in mind that men get to keep their pelvic floors, so it's not all bad news. Um, and so let it be a space where you don't know what you're doing. And nobody else knows what they're doing either. But a lot of people in that insecurity will get defensive and again, we talk about, oh, we shouldn't judge. Everybody judges. Everybody does all the time. Any parent who is stricter than you is too strict. And any parent who is looser than you is too loose. Right? That's like, <laughs> that's just like, just like booze, right? A drinking problem is anyone who drinks more than me. Like that's, that's where a lot of people will draw that line. That's the same in parenting as well. So <laughs> try again. This, I think this is where the generosity of good enough parenting is such a, a kind of powerful tool. Yeah. Cause then we can look at, you know, Again, other parents whose kids are freaking out in front of you, and you'd be like, oh, that's okay, right? Like, my kids do that as well in different contexts, and it's good, like, just do good enough. If this is the best you can do today, then that's going to be good enough, and that's yeah, all right. I um, love it. Yeah. And if, like, survival stuff is really coming into play, that's where you do need to, like, call in the big guns, right? Go talk to your GP, talk to a hospital, talk to maternal and child health, because there is a resource available. Brilliant. All right. I want to move on. Um, but before we do, any last words on emotional change and parenting? Nah, just that it's hard. Let it be hard. Let it suck and let yourself be out of kilter on any given day. Maybe it's because the kid needs a sandwich. Maybe it's because they're growing up. Um, yeah. And because I think kids change quite profoundly 
uh, but also in an unpredictable way. Like it's only semi-predictable. Like a little baby gets bigger, but kids kind of step forward and step back on any given day. Um, yeah, let it be exactly as kind of chaotic as that. And as a result, some days you'll be in good attunement and some days you won't and that's okay, right? Like again, come back, just do the best you can. Uh, and there are going to be days where that's not going to be very good uh, because the odds are loaded against you and it was never going to be good. That's like, you need to learn to forgive yourself for that stuff. Yeah, love it. Brilliant seg. So stages of change for kids. Oh, nice. So take me off through <laughs> babies. What are we doing? We're going to go babies, <laughs> toddlers, primary school teenagers. Hit me with babies. So, I mean, I'll talk to the kind of psychological, emotional needs. Clearly, like, babies, like, can sit and then crawl and then walk. Like, there's all of that side of things as well. But that's more like a maternal. Oh, so much, so much. (laughs) Uh, But I'll leave a lot of that to, like, maternal child health because those guys are, like, medical experts apart from anything else. they got the deep physiology that I don't have. Uh, But as far as, like, psychological needs are concerned, uh, babies are very feeling creatures. So I have really big on, like, co-regulation. Touchy-feely, yeah. Yeah. Both, like, the touchy-feelies are the emotional feelies. And keep in mind, it's the same system, right? It's the nervous system is what runs both of these things. Um, and so, yes, you want to like attend to your baby. You want to pay attention to it when it's looking for attention from you uh, as much as you can, which doesn't need to be a hundred percent of the time. So it's like uh, terrible jokes that I used to play on uh, the parents I went through parenting group with. Like, I'm just really worried that if I keep putting my child in the same color t-shirt, then they'll grow up to be emotionally stunted. I would then convince them briefly that that was a genuine threat. It's not. It's really not a genuine threat. I've never seen a child where the underlying issue was I was in the wrong color clothes, right? Like, so again, here, if you're doing the best you can, your kid's going to be fine as far as that side of things is concerned. And really, you want to prioritize the holding, right? So holding, supporting, encouraging uh, in that like really simple baby flavored play way, right? Look to the child. Child will tell you what they need. They have one word. It's crying uh, and <laughs> they have crying and they have asleep. And so that's okay, right? And there's a limited number of things that can go badly with a baby. So it's either going to be the nappy issue or the food issue or the sleep issue. Um, And sometimes you put the pants on backwards by accident and that's (laughs) uncomfortable. Uh, And oh, that's okay, right? So, So you do that. But again, you really want to work on connecting physically with the baby um, because that's part of how the baby learns to feel itself in space and learns to regulate even things like heart rate, right? Like there are some, and again, Bruce Perry talks about this in his book because there are um, sadly examples of kids in history where there was very little holding that babies who don't get a lot of holding in their infancy struggle to regulate like their heart and their lungs and their bowels uh, that, you know, if being connected to another person, right? Because again, humans, social species, we're a pack animal. Um, Yeah, you want to treat babies like little pack animals, right? They need time connected, physically connected to other people. And so that's the thing, right? Is to feel the things. And And importantly, babies don't have a strong sense of who other people are. I mean, the reason why peekaboo is such an amazing game for babies is when you cover a baby's eyes, you disappear in their world, right? You cease to exist for that brief period period of time. And so then when you like cover a baby's eyes and you're like, peekaboo, like that was amazing magic, right? That was amazing. You like were there and then you weren't there and then you were there again. Unbelievable. And that's like, they can't say that to you. But that's why you get such a strong reaction from a baby when you're doing peekaboo because you've just done this amazing magic trick. 
but importantly, that's like so it's called object permanence, and it kicks in. Oh, when does it kick in? I mean, look, some of the research would say from pretty early, from like anywhere from a, a couple of days to months, but realistically in the kind of more like prolonged sense, you're going to get that from just under a year old, uh, which incidentally is why kids will often freak out when you're dropping off at childcare or with an auntie or whatever. I was like, but they're going to stop existing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start existing again. And as kids practice this stuff and as their brains grow, they do figure it out. Yeah. So as far as babies, I would say feel things uh, and keep being consistent, like keep turning up. Basically, if you keep turning up and you keep being a feeling things person, then the baby will figure out who you are. They'll start building an attachment with you um, and you'll help teach them how to like regulate their simplest drives in the world. Yeah, righto. Okay, moving on to... Toddlers, young kids, what should parents expect from them? So I'm thinking this is basically the preschool age group. Yeah. Yeah, so any... Anything, anything up to prep. So kind of, you know, I mean, I wouldn't really classify a five-year-old as a toddler, but basically we're up into that kind of age range, right? So kind of one and a half up to four or five. Yeah, right. uh, and I say those kids are all about learning to do things. So they're walking, crawling and walking and learning to play with bats and balls and duck, duck, goose duck, and duck, snap goose. and books and all that good stuff. Yep. So there's a lot of motor development in that age group. And they're also learning what things are so like two three-year-olds you'll get that question a million times a day why so uh, uh, but that's comprehension so right so you get the whys a million times a day because they're really just like building their sense of what all the different things are in the world and how are they connected right it's starting to really build that sense of the world uh, both the world directly in front of them but also the world that is around them that they're not always seeing uh your late so primary school kids then so moving into that kind of uh six seven eight nines in particular um there's still a lot of the same needs as even back to the babies right these are still like going to be tactile kids they're still not meaningful individuals so hugs are really great um and again if you struggle with hugs and there are parents that do that's okay use your village right so we really do want to like let the let the village play out and there are kids who don't want as many hugs yeah right? definitely like everything we're saying is like everything we're saying is kind of generic which means that kids are going to vary yeah. around that yeah. like, this is why we need to take each child as a, a beautiful unique snowflake yeah and some kids in um my world they took a long time to decide whether they wanted mm. to give me hugs or not and so it's been yep. a long relationship and now they're i get great hugs but um yeah again not something that everyone's comfortable with just because of who they are as a human yeah absolutely my sister-in-law still um, hates hugs. weirdly enough <laughs> 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 and again, that's okay, right? Because if your sister-in-law all hates hugs, but her, yeah, but she's got, uh, but her husband, your brother, is fine with them. Oh, she likes um, hugs from her kids, great. just not from the rest of us. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's very encouraging for her kids, but also, like, it doesn't have to be. There's plenty of parents in that space, and again, work as a team, right? So even if you're separated, like, you're allowed to play to the other parents' strengths and play to your own. Again, you want to like do this in the most efficient way because there's so much energy to spend on any given day um in any case uh primary school age children so the uh, your seven eight nines um it's interesting to get the whys again as in you'll get kids asking why a lot of the time in that age group even though they clearly know what the answer is to a lot of the questions they're asking and for me that's about the kid trying to figure out like what is my mind what is my experience and not only what are the rules but why are these the rules? So it's not so much building that sense of where the boundaries are or what the concepts are. It's like 
questioning the need for that in the first place. And so you get a lot of like boundary pushing in that age group. I mean, you get a lot of boundary pushing in all the age groups, uh, but not surprising, I think, to see kids uh, fronting up in with with what looks like younger behavior but it's coming from a different space so instead of trying to understand what the rules are within the household now they're having themselves a little pre-teenage rebellion uh where they're trying to figure out why the rules are that way and particularly given they're inconvenient (laughs) why do we need shoes in the first place um then that's a time where you'll see what looks like the same questions over again but they're coming from a different space um yeah so starting to really get into the deeper philosophy yeah and i find so i have I've noticed that as some of these questions come out, I think it's very easy for a harried parent, you know, one that's stressed out, exhausted, needs to go to bed, to just give a dismissive answer to some of these why questions. And I wonder if taking the time to actually explain why, you, you know, you can't do a certain thing because you're going to, that's going to cause this to happen and then you're actually going to hurt yourself and it would make me really sad if you had to go to hospital. That would really scare me. Um, Sometimes these things are actually useful in the long run to stop you having to repeat that same conversation 50 times. You might still need to do that, but it might be 10 times instead of 50 times Mm. if you dismiss kids and don't give them those answers or give them a bigger context to piece their puzzles together in for the world. Absolutely. And again, kind of harking back to that point around self-care, right? You can do more of this if you're taking good enough care of yourself. And importantly, if you could offer 24 hours of attention a day, your child would want 25 hours. And so even hearing that, yeah, you do that as much as you can, it probably won't be 100% of the time. Because apart from anything else, you know when these kids Mm -hmm. love to ask those questions? Bedtime. It's almost like part of this is a delaying tactic so they don't have to go <laughs> to bed. Manipulative little uh, bastards. Yeah. yeah. Little <laughs> bastards. Um, yeah, and that's part of it, right, is like you do what you can do when you can do it, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, everything in its own context. Yeah. All right, what about um, adolescence, Tom? Uh, so I kind of talked all about it a little bit before. So your adolescent is figuring out who they are as a person. And so adolescence is, I mean, it's an amazing kind of space where – Instead of being primarily interested in your opinion as their parent, right, as their primary attachment figure, um, little kids, their sense of who they are, their sense of self-esteem is going to be grounded largely in your expressed opinion of them. This is why it's important to tell your kids that you love them. Right, because that will help build their self-esteem in a healthy way. Right, we're not creating kind of raging narcissists by doing that. Whereas adolescents, firstly, they're going to get very fixated on the opinions of their peers. Right, so on other kids in high school as well, as opposed to on your opinion as the parent. Um, and ultimately, what they're doing is that they're learning to sense their own opinion, right? They're building their own opinion of themselves and they're trying on different personalities, right? So adolescents, we see, you know, this week they're cowboys and next week they're goths or emo, whatever the current term is. Um, and the week after that, they're heavy into sports and the week after that, they're heavy into physics. Uh, and of course, you can be into all of these things and life is a great balancing act, um, but it's a time of amazing experimentation and perhaps a bit mentally because no one has any idea who they are Everyone is insecure. Everyone is looking at all the other people their age to get a sense of how they're traveling, what they're like as people, which means that high schools are this like perfect boiling point of 
people who are all freaked out, worried about what everybody else is thinking. And so the whole like social environment kind of rises and falls. There's a reason why high schools are like such a tumultuous space. Horrible. And it's because basically Truly everything's horrible. going, everyone's going through like the same experience and no one's got any idea what they're up to. Um, yeah. And letting, letting that be the case, I think is an important point of it is that it's a, a time of great uncertainty. Uh, and I think as the parents, yeah, you still want to be there. Again, hug as much as you can, but not more than they want you to. Uh, and understand that the, this is the kind of very often volatile process by which people figure out who they are and figure out what their opinion of themselves is. Uh, yeah, and so strap yourselves in. It's a, it's a toughie, uh, but hopefully a good time as well. And I think if, if you light down the path of showing your kids that you love them and helping them understand that you're available for any conversation that they need, not all the time, but when the time allows, um, then you got a really good shot of having your adolescents come to you to discuss the challenges of growing up and discuss the challenges of figuring out who they are as people. Um, yeah, whereas if you haven't taken good enough care of yourself, if you hadn't let yourself be imperfect, if you haven't uh, focused on parenting good enough rather than kind of striving too hard or being too like pulled in opposite directions or whatever your kind of challenge is there, then adolescents will often really split off at that stage of the game. Um, and sometimes that's the best that's available. Sometimes it's not. So do the best you can again, again, and again, and again, do the best you can. Awesome. Love it. This was entertaining as always, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have not kept us on track very well, but we are going to throw the uh, resources in to the links underneath podcast notes uh, for anyone else who wants to go and look at some of those um, things that Tom mentioned. And next week, please come back and join us for what will definitely be another entertaining topic of fuck mindfulness, which I feel like you have some feelings about. So Uh, can't wait to hear them. Thank you, Tom. I'm a big fan of the mindfulness. A lot of people, not so much. So it'll be good. It'll be good. We'll uh, we'll see if we can have some time where people talk about how awful mindfulness is and then I encourage them to do it anyway. Like that's the, I think that's the thesis of that as a conversation. And fair enough too. It's a really important one. Seems like a terrible deal. It kind of is. Still the best deal going. I look forward to that. Amazing. Uh, catch us, folks, on like socials and stuff. Eh? Facebook, maybe? Question mark? Instagram, Insta, I guess. Definitely. Thanks so much for joining us. For all people who are crazy, we will be back next week. See you, Tom. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa Down. Bye. <laughs> Bye. All People Are Crazy is a production of The Therapy People. We would appreciate your five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. Why not visit us at allpeoplearecrazy.com.au or on Instagram or Facebook. If you're a psychologist interested in setting up private practice, why not visit therapypeople.com.au to see whether we can be of assistance.